Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Sprites of Life podcast. I'm Lucas. I'm Chris. And I'm Don. And today we get to add a friend of ours returning to the show. Thank you, Will, for joining us again. How you doing, man? Doing well. Glad to be back. Oh, it's good to always have you, friend. Now, before we uh, get into the topic, I know people can read the description diddly-do before they click this. Question for y'all. What is an underappreciated Nintendo franchise that people don't normally talk about? Because you all you, you have your F-Zeros that people want back. You have your this and your that. But like, what is like one that deserves more love? I mean, I talk about it. I will never stop loving Banjo-Kazooie and should be back mm. for all eternity. Yeah, that's a good one. I I would like an actual first person Metroid. Like uh, I want to play it like Halo, but have all the Metroid craziness. That would be really cool. I'm a big fan of. Uh, have y'all ever played Custom Robo? No. Oh yeah. That was like. <gasps> that's a good absolutely. Oh, actually, one more, Lucas. I'm gonna cheat. I got one more. Oh, fine. Not a test. Just shout it out. Ogre Battle '64. It's like if. Uh, wait, Will, have you played it? I have actually played that one. My friend in college uh, was a big fan of of the uh, uh, classic Nintendo games and introduced me to it. I played an emulator of it. It's like if um, Command & Conquer and Pokemon and JRPGs all kind of rolled into one. That sounds amazing. Yeah, I just I discovered you could capture monsters and that was the rest of the game for me. Yeah, you can just go you go you can go back to the levels and just capture dragons and Cerberuses and Griffins and then train them. It's so much fun. I mean, I gotta say, if you've never played Custom Robo, like that game like sucked me and my brother in because the whole game's around like, hey, you get a robot, but you can customize the weapons it has, the pods it has, the bombs it has, how it jumps, how it's fine, and you could just fight your brother. Or whoever with it. And it was so much fun to play. I wish they brought that game series back. Because nowadays with all the... Well, then I would think about it. People would probably fill it with microtransactions. And make you have to pay for like the good body parts. Well, and that game was such perfect timing. Because it was around the same time of like Metabots being on TV. And so it's it was the same mechanics of put your robot together with whatever arms and legs you want. And there you go. Fight. I mean, speaking of that, did you ever watch BattleBots? Uh, yeah. It's yeah. still on. They brought it back. Uh, it's the best. It's I, so good. There was that little ladybug with the buzzsaw underneath it. That was my favorite. <laughs> what are Zoids if not BattleBots? <laughs> <laughs> um, today, we're actually skipping the script a bit. We are not doing a Pokemon episode. It is finally time for Pikmin. We get to let Dawn off the leash today. It's is... always time for Pikmin. Well, actually, <laughs> it's been over. Oh, it's been like 10 years without it being time for Pikmin. But now it is again time for Pikmin. So before we cut you loose, Don, we we do have to go through news. So, Will, you brought us something today for science stuff? I did. I brought some recent science news uh, about a finding that involves a giant ground sloth from Brazil. Ooh. I like, like giant yes. sloths. I like Brazil. Oh, yes. Yes. I thought it was particularly fitting. Uh, this is research uh, by Thias... Pensani et al. And it's in the Proceedings of the Royal Society B and the articles from Live Science by Christina Kilgrove. Uh, this is a deposit in central Brazil called the Santa Elena Rock Shelter and is about 27,000 to 25,000 years old. Uh, so we're, this is the early Holocene, which is uh, you know very recent fossil-wise, but it is important because it shows evidence of human occupation and questions as to when humans arrived in the Americas and, you know, each America separately as well have been, you know, a little bit shaky as to the very earliest arrivals. And so having a early site with human evidence can be really important for unraveling some of that, uh, those questions. No, I was going to ask, like, as far as giant sloths go, is this one on, like, the super giant end of giant sloth or is it on the smaller end of giant what's the, sloth? Is that mega, what's the big one? Megatherium? Is that the big sloth boy? Yes, that is indeed. That one's, like, the size of an elephant. This one, uh, I can find out for you really quick, because this is Glossotherium 
Foensis. There we go. Uh, and Glossotherium uh, looks like is a, is a medium-sized one. So we're talking, you know, still big. Like, they would have probably been, like, 10 feet long. But, you know, not elephant-sized. Uh, okay. Still enough to, like make you worried if you stand next to it but like not element yeah. okay good right no this is this is a yeah it says 17 kilograms so we're talking 3000 and a half uh like 3700 pounds so yeah. big but not more like big big uh livestock and and rhino size than full-on elephant size like some of the biggest sloths having watched a rhino chase something no i wouldn't want to get near these things like, cause a uh, rhino can chase stuff, but this thing could punch you. Uh, they they think they have big old paws with big old claws. And so I would not want to mess with them. One of the other reasons you wouldn't want to mess with them, which is what the fossil deposit actually preserved is osteoderms, bony armor that's under the skin that giant ground sloths were known to have. At least some species had these knobbly bones in the hide that would have acted as extra armor, kind of like chainmail. That's so cool. Oh, yeah. These are hardcore animals. They have found over a thousand individual osteoderms from this site. And the thing that has gotten focused on is uh, three of the osteoderms have holes in them that seem to be evidence and the results of human modification. And so the site has other evidence of humans being there. There's wall art, you know, wall paintings that have been preserved. There are stone tool artifacts in the site. And then there are these three osteoderms that have drilled holes in them and were found near stone tools. They were able to uh, scan them to try to confirm that these holes weren't created by something else. And they found that it was polished and had some stone tool markings. And basically the conclusion is it's extremely unlikely anything else could create holes like this other than people purposely drilling it in with a rock. That's so, I mean, that's just amazing. I mean, we always talk about when you think about the cavemen or like how they use woolly mammoth and stuff, but you don't think about one, the bony plates is a sloth and two, how you'd use them. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and they, they, the idea is that it was probably some form of ornament, you know, like that you would tie and hang off of your clothes or something else. We can't know for sure what they were using them for, but definitely humans were messing with these bones for some reason, which a further information about how we interacted with the, the now extinct uh, large animals in the Americas, but also with the site being, at minimum 25,000 years old, it pushes back the earliest evidence of humans in South America. The previous oldest site was 22,000 years. So this pushes it back 3,000 more years and puts it among the earliest sites of human uh, uh, occupation in the Americas in general. So it's probably going to be visited many more times trying to find more info about what were the earliest Americans doing and when did they get here. It's it's awesome finding. Now, all, all I'm hearing with the, the chainmail sloth is that we need a normal steel slacking in Pokemon. Or a paradox slacking. Paradox slacking. Then it could be, well, if they did paradox slacking, it could then not have a terrible ability because the paradox basically <laughs> have no ability. The only place where slacking could get any love, the past, or surrounded by a low reason gap. No. Galarian wheezing gas. I was saying, I've always wanted a fossil Pokemon ground sloth and make it like fighting type and just punching people with its big old claws. <laughs> yeah, everyone always forgets that the dinosaurs are not the only thing that were that died. It's just the big yeah. thing people forget. And uh, do we know any dinosaurs that can punch like a sloth? There actually is one. <laughs> <laughs> there actually is a group the therizinosaurs are often considered to be ground sloth uh, uh convergent dinosaurs that had long front arms with big claws yeah i think i have yep, yep. yeah okay i i i was unfamiliar with the name but i've definitely seen um stuff about them 
Yeah, Therizinosaurus is the one with the big long sword claws, but the Therizinosaurs, just the overall group, had a whole bunch that didn't have the long delicate claws like that, but just had beefy claws that absolutely could have been doing sloth-like damage. Yeah. Was that the uh, the guy where like we only have the arms? We did for a long time. Uh, Therizinosaurus and Dinochirus were two dinosaurs that had these big long front arms with long powerful claws. Uh, on Therizinosaurus and these big cooked claws on Dinochirus. And for years, we only had those. And everyone was like, these have got to be some of the largest predators that have ever walked the planet with giant beefy arms like this. And then found out, nope, weird plant eating dinosaurs that with disproportionately large arms. Uh, I do love it when the weird thing happens with the paleontologist. Ah, I assume it's going to kill us. No, just leaves, I guess. That's fine. <laughs> So as far as gaming news goes, like I tried looking into it at first and I wanted to see if like the recent actors or writer strike was like affecting it. But at the moment, you know, fingers crossed, like nothing's really affecting on that. End. Although I don't know where anyone else stands. I'm supporting the actors and the writers on that one. But Chris, absolutely, you, ha you had some Xbox news and I don't talk Xbox. So do the thing. It's the end of an era for Xbox because they are officially sunsetting the games with gold program, which for, for those who are not Xbox savvy was a very uh, revolutionary concept when it first started, where they would just give away one game a month for free. And eventually it, it, they eventually went up to two games a month for free. I still remember the first time it happened because there was no like official announcement about it. Fable two just became free out of nowhere and everyone was like, oh my god, they made a mistake, get it while you can. And then they were just like, no, this is this is the thing we're doing now. And they started giving out more and more games over time. Uh, and they did it for 20 years. So, god, I, I don't want to do that math right now, but they gave away a lot of games for free. PlayStation then copied it and made, when they did their, uh, hey, pay for online services, and then you get PlayStation Plus. So they copied it now that every month they released three or four, but like, hey, respect the, the originals who did it. Like Xbox did this and then PlayStation copied it and tried to look better, which didn't exactly work. So they, uh, they it kind of makes sense why they're doing it because they're trying to consolidate everything under Game Pass for like a more unified experience. And so while Games of Gold is going away, it's getting replaced with uh, what they're calling Game Pass Core which is basically going to be like the bottom tier of game pass, which I think is like, it's like $10 a month and you get access to a catalog of like 25 games that are going to be either rotating or ones will be added in, but it's still things like, um, Halo, Fallout, Fable, Gears of War, Among Us, Elder Scrolls Unlimited, uh, like a lot of really, really great games for $10 a month. So if you figure, you know, if you pay for a year of Game Pass Core, that's what, $120 a year plus tax. That's two of those games. So if you play more than two of those games in the year, you are getting your money's worth, your value. I mean, there was another article as well that talked about how like 87% of all the games are like unable, ever made, are unable to be purchased or played anymore because you're not able to like access to it. I think Xbox, like having that pass so people can play those older games and get them for free that people aren't normally playing is a great way to get to keep some of these games alive. Like, don't get me wrong, people are going to emulate anything they can in order to not pay for stuff. But it's still, I think it was really cool and a great idea. And it eventually did lead to during the pandemic when like a lot of the companies were just releasing games to help people be comfortable at home. Like this started something big and it's worth remembering. I'll be a Sony boy until I die, but I will always respect what Xbox did. Like, that ain't going away. I'm all for Xbox. I'm, I'm excited for this. All right. News is out of the way. Don, I can confess to you, I've only ever played Pikmin at the dentist office, so I do not have the best memories. This is all yours. Why should we be playing Pikmin? Oh, dude, my dentist was awesome growing up. They had a cool fish tank, and he was into fishing, so, like, tell me my teeth were good, and we'd talk about fishing. It was sick. Did you go to the dentist in Finding Nemo? No, that guy. Uh, no, <laughs> this guy was this guy was like an old dude, and he would be gone like half the time. My mom would try to make appointments, and he'd be in like the Amazon. 
This guy was awesome. Was he was he doing dentistry in the Amazon, or was he just like this is a fun no, place to fishing. be? He'd come back and like show me pictures of Dorado and Arapaima and stuff. Are you sure it wasn't just like a time traveling you trying to impart you with like better teeth? I don't know. Like, I've never had been interested in being a dentist, even though this guy made it seem really cool. I feel like this guy imparted, like he imprinted something on you, Don, as a young kid. Yeah. Yeah, shout out shout out to Dr. Bishop wherever right, you're see, at. I was about to ask, was your dentist Jeremy Wade from River Monsters? Like was I know, right? He kinda was. <laughs> anyway, all right. So yeah, we're here. It's Pikmin time. We got Pikmin four coming out, which as a Pikmin fan is very exciting. Um the Pikmin franchise has been I um came out the first Pikmin came out on the GameCube in two thousand we'll start from the beginning. So the first Pikmin came out on the GameCube in two thousand what three i think one was it was it a launch game it wasn't a launch game was it It was not a launch game i remember commercials for it so the first pikmin came out october 2000 uh october 26 2001 which i remember getting it It had been out for a while and i tried pikmin one out and i was kind of really interested in like the the gameplay was cool it's like kind of like an art it's kind of like i guess it's an rts you could call it in a way because it's top down it came it's sort of or at an angle you're controlling one character that's then sort of giving commands to other characters, the characters being Pikmin. Um, in Pikmin 1, you're the Olimar. It's sort of the classic Pikmin guy. In Smash Bros. now and everything else, um, you crash land on this planet, which is comprised of mostly oxygen, which is toxic to the, they're like Hokitates or whatever they're, whatever his people are called, little tiny dudes. Um, the oxygen is toxic to them, and you have 30 days to repair your spaceship or you will die on this unknown planet. And then sort of throughout the game, you befriend the different colors of Pikmin. Each one, the original game is just red, yellow, and blue. They each have like a little elemental affinity or some sort of little extra ability, like red Pikmin do more damage and are immune to fire. Blue Pikmin are immune to water. Basically, you have 30 days to find enough ship parts or you die, which I sort of liked that timeline. It was very stressful as a young as a young kid, but um, I felt very accomplished when I pulled it off. Had you played Majora's Mask before this? Because that is stressful gaming. That is peak Japanese game design. I think I actually had not played Majora's Mask before Pikmin. Like a lot of Japanese games, like even like games today, like Persona, like in Gate, well, Persona's there back then as well, but like are like, hey, you are not just playing this willy nilly. You have a time frame. Don't mess it up or you're dead. And that's that's peak Japanese design. Life is finite. Learn this now, child. Which some people like have opinions about the some people don't like some people do like the time limit from the first game. I think it kind of in a way adds a little bit of replayability because you can you know there's you don't need every ship part to um escape the planet. You just need the key ones and then like a certain amount. Um, but then you can try to go for like a hundred percent run. You can try to see how fast you can do it. People have done deathless runs. People have done minimum Pikmin runs. It, it's got a lot of replayability because it sort of main, keeps it at a certain time, maximum time rate. I, I just imagine a spaceship and trying to build it like, okay, I got one day left. Do I go looking for the toilet or do I just take off? <laughs> do, I, do, I get the, do I get the air conditioning in the refrigerator? I technically don't need them, but is life worth living without them? Sacrificing dozens of Pikmin's for the big screen. That's so dark. You gotta have the TV. <laughs> oh, I mean, if you if you die in Pikmin one, then get the bad ending. Um, the the last thing you see is the Pikmin are carrying you to like their onion, which is their sort of like little hive. Um, but anyway, so moving on to Pikmin two, which came out. The gap between Pikmin one and Pikmin two was actually pretty short. I remember the Nintendo powers though for Pikmin two before it came out. I was really hyped about the strategy guide. Me and my buddy were Pikmin fans. We had a sleepover. It was awesome. Um, but Pikmin 2 came out in 2004. Um, it got it got rid of the time limit. It added a lot more new creatures and a lot more new um, areas. Um, and this one, the plot, without like any major spoilers, basically, Olimar's made it back to his home planet, obviously, or there wouldn't be a Pikmin 2. And his company, because he's, he's basically like a space trucker, and his company is going bankrupt, and he happened to bring back a random piece of trash from the other planet he was on, which ends up being really valuable on his planet. So him and Louie, who I remember right is like the president's nephew or something, um, go back to the unknown planet to collect more garbage slash treasure. And um, this this one we 
had a lot of improvements I, in my opinion like well we added uh white and purple pikmin which was cool it added procedurally generated little dungeons to go underground to find more treasure and all of the treasure um clearly pointed to like the distant unknown planet being earth like probably like post-apocalyptic um like there were treasures were like duracell batteries bottle caps um think like literally just little bits of human trash you get really got a fun sense of scale in the game yeah there was always like a shock just how tiny actually everything is in comparison when you look at like the screen stuff like you're it's it's one thing to say yeah everyone's small like seeing the giant plants it's another thing picking up an actual battery and realizing oh snap i really am just a tiny little dude yeah yeah, yeah. and um so pikmin uh three takes place um and then we had a long gap pikmin three came out i want to say it came out on the wii u um which was certainly a choice and certainly <laughs> a system. that was 2013 was pikmin yeah 3. so we had basically 10 years between pikmin 2 and 3 or nine years between pikmin 2 and 3 and then a full 10 years between pikmin 3 and now the upcoming pikmin 4 um there's also hey pikmin but we don't talk about hey pikmin <laughs> was it like mobile or something or just really bad it was for the ds and it was something um but pikmin 3 added more pikmin types we got rock and uh flying pikmin added those aren't colors no they're they're gray and pink <laughs> uh what else do we have in pikmin 3 um this one had we had three new characters we had uh, i think it was Brittany, alf and other dude whose name i can never remember um, but there's a three and you could switch between the three captains, which was sort of an added another dimension Pikmin two with the two captains. You could switch between to solve various puzzles or just sort of delegate labor more efficiently. Um, this one, the home planet of the little dudes, the um, Hakatate is facing like a severe food shortage. So they go here to get giant fruits for the juices oh. to save their planet. I mean, that seems a little more wholesome than like, go get us more money. <laughs> I mean, I kind of like that. Yeah, I, I'm I'm going light, trying to uh, you know not provide any major spoilers or anything in terms of uh, particular story beats. I, I highly recommend. Honestly, I think all three Pikmin games are great. Pikmin Two is my personal favorite, um, but I would highly recommend you try them out. Anyone that hasn't, a uh, one and, and on two. Switch. So yeah, fun Pikmin fact: every single system um, has been able to play every current Pikmin game. Like as it came mm -hmm. out, so the GameCube had Pikmin one and two, which it could play on both. The Wii had ports of one and two, and was backwards compatible anyway. Um, Pikmin three, or uh, came out on the on the Wii U, which was also able to play from the eShop store. Pikmin one and two, and now Pikmin three Deluxe Edition, Pikmin one and two, and the new Pikmin four will be on the Switch. That's really nice of Nintendo, and I can't think of another franchise where they've done that. I guess that's a weird, it's the weird monkey's paw we get for having to wait like a full decade. <laughs> Slightly more. It came back. Pikmin 3 came out um, in Japan. No, it, yeah, Pikmin 3 came out in, in the US in, on July 16th. So we actually have slightly more than a decade, I believe. Uh, when I was looking up all the Pikmin stuff for this episode, and the reason I brought you along for this, Will, is because uh, there are some horrific monstrosities that have occurred on the planet Earth. And I needed somebody who knows how to speculative evolution this crap better than I do, because these things are haunting. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. Well, have you played Pikmin? I haven't played Pikmin. I, I played bits and pieces when it first came out. Uh, so I was like, I'm familiar with the, the overall gameplay. Uh, I have played the Overlord games, which is like a dark fantasy uh, spoof of Pikmin. You know, you have minions instead of Pikmin, but basically the same concept. Right. But I've not gotten to play through the Pikmin games. I think the greatest strength of the Pikmin games is some of their creature creation, because I've never seen a more abstract bunch of creatures in my life. That's one of the things that got me into the games was the whole, I think the reason too, that like when I was young was drawn to Pokemon. It was the just sort of variety and kind of seeing them out in nature in quote-unquote nature in the pikmin games as well uh was really cool and in pikmin 2 there's a whole little feature called like the piclopedia and it's like a bestiary um and it has olimar's olimar puts his little notes on it and then later you also have louis notes uh, which are basically about eating all of the different creatures and his preparation methods um and olimar's <laughs> are more of a researcher type 
Uh, and it's it was just and you could feed them little Pikmin pick pick carrots, which is like just what Pikmin resembled, which is why Olimar names them Pikmin. But I thought that was it was just a cool feature in Pikmin two. I think the fir- the other games Pikmin three had something similar as well, but it was just really cool in Pikmin two because you'd see it and then you'd finish your day in the game and then you could go to that and like learn about the the weird thing you just killed with your Pikmin or got killed by. I I just love the fact that Louis is like some bungling doofus who like he's not Louis with- is a villain and i'm not going to get too into it because i don't want to <laughs> spoil major th- story things <laughs> no all right he's the reason the company goes bankrupt <laughs> yeah i mean maybe again the universe wasn't ready for him like he he was too ahead of his time <laughs> a vision so i think the first creatures we kind of have to start with are the pikmin and if you look at these creatures it, it's weird because if you look at the description they are considered animals and plants they have a little functional nest that they pop out of and they have different variants. They have the different regions. So I'm looking at these things and I have no idea how to classify this creature. Cause they're definitely just, you know, by their design, little people, you know, they, they've got, they're kind of like a, from a fantasy standpoint, they have like mandrake energy. They very much do have mandrake energy of the, the humanoid roots, uh, with the plant growing out of it. Uh, as far as what they like, the way they function is they are definitely use social, you know, so they've got that ant bee thing going of a nest with multiple different varieties that do different jobs and are specialized for different things. And I will point out uh, that certain Pikmin do not have um, a nest and have to be thrown into uh, specific flowers that then change their species or oh, color or okay you want to yeah yeah them. so the purple and white pikmin and pikmin too you have to in underground areas there'll be flowers called candy pop buds and you can throw um three uh, or up to five of a different pikmin into the bud and it will turn them into the seeds of the either the purple or the white i, I like i mean the purple one is just like super strong the poison one is poison what's the difference between a rock one and a poison one all right so the the poison pikmin yeah, um, so rock Pikmin were added in Pikmin 3 as were flying Pikmin and like white and purple Pikmin kind of took a, a bit of a nerf in Pikmin 3. Uh, white Pikmin and Pikmin 2 um, are like very subterranean. Um, and they can sense things underground. They can dig up buried tre- fully. They're the only Pikmin that can find fully buried treasures in addition to being immune to poison. And they're the fastest. Um, purple Pikmin are physically the strongest. They have the strength of 10 Pikmin. Um, which is very nice for moving things. They can stun enemies if you throw them on an enemy. They'll like make like a thud noise and stun and can stun them, as well as having a, a higher attack modifier than the average Pikmin. The Rock Pikmin are um, immune to crushing attacks and piercing attacks, um, but they can't grab on. To, like they do extra damage when they hit an enemy, but they can't grab on and continue to like thwack it. And they can break. Uh, you can use them to break like crystal barriers. The Flying Pikmin have a weaker attack and i believe a slightly slower movement speed um than the other pikmin but they can fly over water and obstacles so they kind of a huge advantage still see well i mean the the purple one answers my question if there are different species or not they are clearly like different species but in a similar regard to how you have worker ants and like soldier ants i think this is just there's probably some super hive down there well you would get into maybe there too that there's some sort of maybe i mean the fact that you basically transmorph uh, a different Pikmin into one of the, like it would actually, because there's other, there's normal colored candy pop buds as well. So you can really turn um, any Pikmin into any other color of Pikmin, at least in Pikmin two. I'm trying to remember if you can do that with rocks and flyings in three, but um, so maybe they're all like one super species and they're just hyper specialized. And no, that roles. definitely is, that is definitely what that suggests to me is that these are, these are caste systems, not actually species. You know, so they're genetically distinct, uh, but they are the same species of organism. Because, uh, yeah, with with ants, you can get uh, different casts of worker to soldier ant that are literally a hundred times different in size. And are this, we're born from the same queen ant. Uh, but the genetics that dictate how they develop form them into these vastly different shapes. Uh as for like what they'd be, there's not a lot of actual animal plant, you know, melding 
in full on symbiosis, there's the, um, there is a, oh, is, I think it's a slug, an, a sea slug that has, will retain algae in its body and is transparent. And there's a, is it a gecko? I think that might do there's something. There's a salamander. Salamander, thank you. That's the one I'm thinking of. And so, like, there's a couple of those. And I guess you have, like, Zozin Valley and, like, corals as well. Yeah, I would, I would, if I were looking at them uh, just on the surface, I would much more tend to that these are display structures. You know, that they're not actual flowers. They may have still close relationship with plants. Because ants and plants are, like, besties forever, they have such a close relationship, you know, with plants making homes for ants and special food buds for ants to protect them. Uh, so you could absolutely have them still using plants for their homes, using plants for their nests. Yeah. So the flower. So when Pikmin are first off, like when they bring, say, a dead critter back to the onion and it spits out new seeds, um, those seeds have leaves on them and they can either be left in the ground for a long time to flower or you can feed them nectar. Um, both of which accelerates them to flower stage, which on uh, flower Pikmin are faster, stronger, and just generally better. So maybe it's like a fitness indicator kind of thing. So, okay, well, and then that gives me an idea for what it could be since they're developing underground, but they have that uh, structure that comes above. What if this is to attract pollinating insects? And so it is a fake flower and we're trying to get pollinating insects to come in and... You know, while they're looking for nectar, we're taking some of the nectar or, you know, taking the pollen they've gathered uh, or even eating the insect, you know, whatever, whichever way you want to go with it. Uh, And that's why they develop bigger and stronger is those are the ones that successfully get the nutrients with their their uh, flower display. I just imagine the horrors of some insect trying to snip away at the flower that all of a sudden a thousand tiny little hands grab it and pull it down. Well, there are um, at the end of Pikmin at the end of Pikmin one um, in one of the endings, you actually see after all of our leaves, you see the Pikmin then uh, instead of fleeing normally at night, you have to put all your Pikmin away. If you leave any Pikmin out at night, they'll be killed um, and eaten. So um, and like at the end of Pikmin one, if you get like a good ending, or one of the good endings, um, you see the Pikmin instead turn the tables and attack a, like a former predator. So they definitely have the capacity to sort of bait somebody in for violence purposes. As far as what animals they'd be, that's that's trickier because there's nothing that you know really fits their their uh, build. You they could just be like a super weird group of ants that lost two of their legs and got good at walking on a single pair. You know, that that's would be a very extreme thing for an ant body to do, but it could be something like that. But they could maybe be amphibians. You social amphibians isn't a thing like social amphibians isn't really a thing. So that would be a very, very odd thing to happen with amphibians. But depending on how long it's been on Earth, who knows what could happen? Yeah, they all I mean, they all drown very readily other than the blues. But I mean, other amphibians drown too, so I guess that's not an inherent. Yeah, no. If they evolve fully away from the water, you know, they could have that as their ancestry, which would give them at least the the correct body plan to stand up and look more human. And there are a couple other. They aren't on the list, but there are a couple other sort of plant animal hybrid type critters in the Pikmin world. Um, there's the creeping chrysanthemum. If you guys want to Google that thing, it's a, it's a lay in wait ambush predator kind of situation. Um, it looks like two flowers, but up close you see the flowers of eyes, and then you come near and it like sucks out of the ground. And if you look at the how it hides, it's like a, and there's normal flowers in the same area, um, that don't have eyeballs on them. Yeah, no, that thing is um, haunting. I don't want any part of that chrysanthemum. <laughs> I, I will say, uh, the design that is the second most iconic when it comes to Pikmin. I didn't even know these things had a name. The Bullborg. Bullborg. Yes. Bulborb, yeah, and there's those, quite a few people, subspecies of bulborb. They are literally on every packaging of Pikmin, trying to eat them, trying to hurt them. I always remember them because it's such a simple design, but it's such a good design. So, from what I understand of these things, they're mainly nocturnal, although they can go standing up around in the day. Uh, they work; they can work as a team. They are basically carnivores, and apparently, they do have multiple species, like you said. Like what? How far did the speciation go for these guys? I've 
I have a question, Lucas. You said they're carnivores, but aren't Pikmin plants? I mean, plant. Like we said, plant-ish animal dealio. So you know, somewhere in the middle, plant-ish animal dealio. I mean, but that that would be you know, if they are truly animal-plant hybrids, then it would make them omnivores. If they're plants, they're herbivores, and if they're animals, just mimicking plants, they're carnivores. So, mm. but like, what what other subspecies can you get of these? All right, so um, the Pikmin taxonomy is actually quite uh, complex. Um, so bulwars are members of the grub dog family, um, which have whole like scientific names and everything else. Um, but that family includes your classic bulborb, the bulborb larva, um, which is like sort of no one knows the exact species of um, the dwarf bull bear, the uh, emperor bull blacks, the impressed bull blacks. The fiery bull blacks, the hairy bull borb, the long water dumple, the orange bull borb, the spotty bull bear, the water dumple, and the whip tongue bull borb. Don, you're just making up words. <laughs> he just has a bunch of Scrabble tiles in front of him, just throwing them all together. I mean, this thing really is creepy looking. It also is bipedal, which is yes. interesting from a design. Like nothing else but a giant mouth, eyeballs, and f- it, it, it's got. I was just saying it's got some yeah interesting features you know it's got the stalk eyes which is is an unusual thing for uh, you know non uh, insects and, and crustaceans to have I mean what it, like what would you classify this thing as I mean at least at the pikmin we had some hints but like this thing I don't even know yeah 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 there's my the first thought and what I think you know it's inspired by from an artistic standpoint is it uh, a frog it's it's got a bullfrog thing going, uh, the big mouth, the bug eyes on top, uh, big tongue, but it has claws, which except for literally a couple of examples in frogs and like one salamander, amphibians don't have claws, so unless it happens to be one of those very rare groups, it can't really be an amphibian. Uh, it's also got very prominent teeth which amphibians typically don't have super exaggerated to. Yeah. Uh, and since it's bipedal, this is, this is, uh, uh, kind of going to be, feel like a very random thing, but it, the first place my brain went is there is a lizard called bipes. And there are, uh, other lizards that have reduced their limbs down quite a bit and you are almost limbless, but not quite. Bipes is a, worm lizard it lives underground and is burrowing and it has lost its back legs but retained its front legs and they're like these powerful little mole arms to help it dig and so if you got a lizard that had done a similar thing and you know for a similar purpose to dig around using its front limbs but then shortened up the body instead of being all long and worm-like you could get something that now is using its front limbs. It's retaining reduced front limbs since it's only got two toes. There's been some reduction there. Uh, using those to walk around. So when it's walking, it's actually it would be technically doing a handstand. I, saying, I don't know if that makes it creepier. The f- like the idea of it doing <laughs> of it being a, a constant handstand. Like you just, I think it's just showing off at this point. Oh yeah, but like Don, these things do they sleep during the day? Yes. So, well, some of most of them do. Um, pretty much uh, most of the adult bulborbs you see, um, which is like the the big the bigger ones of the red and the with the white spots, will be asleep, and the, but they'll be surrounded by what we all what was originally everyone thought were baby bulborbs, um, or the dwarf bulborb, um, which looks like sort of miniature version of the adult, and will actually like emit a cry that will wake up the adult that's nearby. And then in Pikmin 2, we learn, thanks to Olimar, that what we thought were juveniles are actually a species of breadbug, which is an entire other family of Pikmin critters, um, that mimic the dangerous offspring of the bulborb for protection. Um, while actual bulborbs look like juvenile bulborbs look like bulborb larvas. Um, so that sort of gives us a little, a little bit of the Batesian mimicry, like pretending to be a dangerous thing while not being a dangerous thing. Yeah, it's a very good strategy. There are a lot of insects that pull that too. Well, and and even like uh, actually associating with the real creature, you know, you you have nest infiltrators and you know mimics like that that will mimic the creature, but also live among them and benefit from their society. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's um. Is it like a moth that does that with bees or something or with ants? There is a moth that does it with be- ants. I remember that. There's there's a stick insect that does it with ants. There's a caterpillar. There's like dozens of different species that have learned how to infiltrate ant nests either by looking like an ant or tricking the ants into bringing them there. And it's just a winning strategy because basically, other than ant eating animals, no one wants to mess with an ant hill. But just to make um. To- so you guys have a general idea. I, I just put a link to the, the grub dog family from the Pikmin wiki. Um, to give an idea of the, the total amount. Like I said, the most iconic is your classic Bulborb, um, but quite a few others are uh, the Emperor Bulbax is like the main boss of the first Pikmin game. Um, there's a hairy Bulborb, which like lives in Arctic environments. Um, there's some aquatic variants. There's one with like an anteater tongue. Bulblax has a wife. Yes. Yeah, so the, the bulborbs have a oh I forgot yeah this is actually a key part um part of this the all the grub dog family, um there's like basically an ant type, dealy do queen, yeah I was about to say that's very termite queen with that extended back, okay okay, well now that and the fact that they have larvae that are limbless it seems, the larvae don't have legs that definitely leans them back toward amphibians so this could just be, a claw. The larvas are the only um, enemy you can punch to death with one shot from your captain also. Ah, so you're just punching the babies. Punch the child. Punch (laughs) the child. Yes, of course. I'm the hero. Yeah, and then some are more dangerous than others. Um, The spotty bull bear is much more dangerous like a bull borb, and its offspring follow it, and they are actual. Um, They will be awake, too. They're diurnal, so they'll be awake in the game. In some of the games, um, and they're, they'll often have actual offspring with them. Um, and then there's the uh, the water dump was the aquatic version. The fiery bull blacks is just one that's on fire all the time. I'm reading this like this mean looking creature secretes chem- chemicals which combust upon exposure to oxygen. Oh, you're reading about the uh, the fiery bull blacks? Yeah, I'm just reading that like because the thing looks like it's melting. It's like the Human Torch from Venture Brothers. That's awful. I love these things now. I love how terribly diverse they are. Now, between the Bulborg and the Pikmin, those are like the ones everyone knows on site. But then Smash Brothers dropped this thing as an assist trophy, and I didn't realize it was from Pikmin. So, the Burrowing Snargret. So, for Snagret. So, those of you who played Smash Brothers will crack the trophy, and a bird thing comes out of a hole like a worm and starts pecking you. Yeah, that's from Pikmin, and it's a bird worm. And that is honestly a sentence I did not envision myself saying. Bird, bird snake, bird worm, it, it's weird. And it, from what I understand of it, pops out of the surface, attacks anything that moves. I have no idea what's underneath it. Um, do we, Is this like a Diglett situation where we don't so ask? So we actually do um, have an idea of what is underneath it. Um. Not until Pikmin 3. In Pikmin 1, um, its body would explode into pellets, which were like uh, nutrition Pikmin food. Um, and then Pikmin 2, its body would just explode except for its head and anything useful it had eaten. Um, Pikmin 2 also introduced several other species of Snagret. Um, the one, only one we saw, though, was the, uh, bur- the uh, Pileated Snagret, if you want to look that up real quick, um, which was a boss. It's a boss enemy in one of the dungeons. If I remember right, in Pikmin 3, though, we see that um, a normal snagret and normal snagmits in Pikmin 3, when they die, I believe we also can see their feet. Um, and they have a similar situation to the pileated snagret. So they do have a single foot. Yeah, which was that, which was honestly like kind of bummed me out because in Pikmin 2, the pileated snagret, when you ran into one, was crazy because you're like, oh my God, I can get out and jump around. <laughs> I don't know. It kind of ruins the mystique of it, right? Like, again, <laughs> if, if they. If they actually announced what was under Diglett, everything would be underwhelming. Oh, yeah. No one will be happy with that response. It's a very cool, terrifying creature. And honestly, in Pikmin 1 especially, where you get it in an area where like you, you've, you can, your ship is basically in sight and there's a ship part and your guys are carrying it this way. And if you haven't scouted it first with your captain, they'll, all your Pikmin will be busy carrying a nice gear or whatever. And then this thing just, like, three of them will rip out of the ground and just go to town. And in Pikmin 1, they were very dangerous. That like, sounds like some coordinated attacks. I mean, how do you even fight these things? Like, you just throw bodies at the problem? Well, base and Pikmin can really only grab onto their head and their scales take reduced damage or maybe their feathers. Um, 
take reduced damage. Um, sometimes they'll get stuck and take longer than when they go to exit the ground instead of popping up, their head will get stuck for a second, and that's a really good time you can swarm your Pikmin over them. Otherwise, um, it's just a matter of throwing it at their head and trying not to let them, because they'll, they'll eat Pikmin very quickly, and they can kill, like, five or six at a time if they All right, up. I mean, like, Will, do we got birds? I mean, snakes and birds are reptiles, so there's something to go on. They're in the Snaven family, according to Olimar. So that kind of hits, that kind of gives you a... <laughs> bit to work with in in all truth uh this one is by far the one of the easiest uh so far to to speculatively evolve because a bird absolutely you could get it down to that shape uh you know that's whether that shape is actually as good as it's they make it seem to be for burrowing is is more of a question but there are burrowing birds today you know there's plenty of birds that dig underground and live underground so that's not uh, unusual. You absolutely could get them, you know, working together. Group effort and, and coordination is known among birds. Uh, so, like, this one's pretty doable. Uh, it would be a very, very extreme. So what, what this one would actually suggest to us more than a lot of the others is, like, it's been a very long time whenever Olimar landed on Earth because this would be a lot of... of uh, would require a long, long line of evolution to get to this because uh, it is going to be such a derived and specialized form of bird. Uh, you know, the fact that it has lost its wings seemingly completely, uh, you know, that there's nothing, no, no functional aspect to them left. Uh, and reducing down to a single limb like that, that is very, very intense. But, you know, it, it, a bird digging underground is not ridiculous. Uh, and the fact that it still has a leg and hasn't, you know, actually taken on a full on snake body, uh, you know, that's just a long bird neck with a little round body. So that this one makes the most sense, oddly enough. <laughs> Oh, um, also according to Olimar, so we, um, according to the player's guide, um, Snaggerts will hang out in groups up to three, um, and Olimar mentions, um, that the Pileated Snaggert has poor eyesight, um, probably due to spend time underground, and the tip of its nose contains a thermal sensing. Oh, that's That's cool. specifically for the Pileated Snaggert, which is the larger and more dangerous of the two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's still really cool. No, and that would make that would be a, an excellent uh, organ to have if you're if you're subterranean like that and you have poor eyesight. Remember too, I think the pileated snaggerd is only fought at the bottoms of a couple caves. Yeah, that's one of the things that that's one of the things that really drew me to the game was how much um, sort of backstory, sort of classification, almost they put into them all of their made up uh, genus and species and families and everything. Alrighty, y'all. So so far. Bird, snake, worm, whatever. Doing pretty good. Although this thing caught my eye. Uh, the Correct me if I'm wrong. Ranging Bloister? Did I get I that right? I think it's Ranging Bloister. Ranging Bloister. Thank you. The Ranging like Bloister. It. Look at this freak. Look at this. I don't and like... This is my least favorite of all the creatures. So it doesn't... This is mid... This is mid-strike. And it's um actually... The, there's two members of its family. There's... It's, this is the large... Much larger of the two that's also a boss. There's also the toady bloister. The toady bloister? The toady bloister. Which we see in Pikmin uh, 2 and I believe also 3. Yeah, it's basically a slug. Uh, I like that... So apparently it is attracted to light and shiny objects. It is called a mollusk in game. Mm-hmm. And is it be mollusking, mollus, mollusking family? Uh, I get it. Uh, the flower on its back is not only camouflage, but are also the gills, and of course the tentacles are sticky because what else would they possibly? Do? I don't like that in the description that I can read that it's it says any Pikmin hit by the tentacles stick and are ingested if the bloister is not killed before it can finish, and then in quotes chewing <laughs> yeah it kind of it sucks them in you there's like does like a noise oh, it's nice. just gumming them to death i don't know it's got like them. crushing plates or something or it's, <laughs> maybe it has a beak in there i mean the first thing that catches my attention are the eyes because the eyes remind me of there are certain parasites that infect snails yep yeah and then those 
those big bulbous eyes to make them look like worms to attract them. Like, there's something wrong with this thing. Um, well, so the eyes uh, with the ranging boister are glowing in game, and um, they'll fixate. They glow when they fixate on a captain because the captains have the little light on their antenna. Oh, that's, that's so a neat. trick. A, a trick for the ranging boister is to split your Pikmin into two squads because the uh, the gills on its back are its like weak point. Um, so you can by by switching relatively quickly control because it, it targets the captain you're controlling because I get this the movement plus the light. You can switch back and forth quickly with them on opposite sides of the room and sort of like keep him moving back and forth while you hit Pikmin on his gills. Well. It's weird because, like, this one is another one that, like, I could totally see this happening in real life. Yeah. This is not, like, this one isn't terribly difficult. The 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 first thing that it made me think of was a, a nudibranch, sea slugs. Like, it's, you know, mollusk, so it's in this, the right group. Uh, it is got the, the decoration on the backside, like they often have, where it's, its gills are. Uh, and it's predatory, which they typically are. So, like, it, it this seems like a terrestrial sea slug to me, a land-based sea slug. I I, I agree. Um, I maybe like I see a little bit of maybe some cephalopod in there too, with the uh, like the fixation on the lights and the um sort of tentacle thing. But I do I do think the like the gills stuff and everything, and just the overall body and movement. It's the seems gumming really that I don't care for. Which yeah, if we make it a uh with mollusks, you can give them a radula, the tongue tooth. You scrape them all up. Uh, and if it's uh, fixated on lights, that would also, you know, that could be a a uh, ancestral feature of being in the ocean, since bioluminescence, you know, glowing animals and organisms is so common in the ocean that they could be predatory for that stuff, and then have moved into environments where that still is useful, you know, hunting bioluminescent insects and stuff yeah and the uh the bloisters are in um and the bloisters are in wet areas typically even with some water it's like the the need to stay moist is uh, like um one area you find that is um basically called the shower room and it's like a cave that's basically like clearly the remnants of like someone's bathroom basically like everything's tiled yeah i mean like it's it, it looked very when you see the picture of this thing shooting out all its tentacles it doesn't look very realistic but then you actually get a chance to look at some stuff in the wild like oh yeah no, these are just these are out there, and they're already really small. Like nudibranchs mm-hmm. are not big. Yes. Well, and and this is also one of those fitting things where, like, so often people are like, oh, you know, snails and slugs, they're just cute little squish, you know, or gross little, but you know, just harmless little squishy, you know, uh, guys. Until you watch like a predatory snail uh, uh, attack an earthworm or something and just inhale it with its giant umbrella mouth. And then choose the time because the next one is we're going to take a departure from the the last two have been much easier, I will say, than this guy. Um, how are you guys familiar with the Smoky Prog? I've seen pictures of it. I remember a trophy of it in Smash Brothers. Yeah, yep. that's yep. that's my Bingo. that's the extent of mine. <laughs> so the Smoky Prog um, for a little backstory on it. Um, if you go to. Um, there's an area called the Distant Spring. I believe it's the third area in the original. It's only in the first Pikmin game, and it's a hidden optional boss. If you go make it to the Distant Spring, which is, I believe, the third area in the game, so you're pretty late in the game. Um, it's the last full area. The final area is basically just to fight the final boss. Um, if you get there before or on day 15, um, there'll be an egg um, out past where your plane or your uh, ship lands. If you go out and hit it um, or just approach it, I think, um, the egg will break open. And the prog will come out and head directly to your captain's site. Um, and basically just... Try and kill us? No, it basically ignores the captain and just goes and circles the site. Um, it it puts out like a poison cloud that just insta-kills pretty much any Pikmin by... like it, I guess it suffocates them. And it can uproot Pikmin sprouts. So if you have any Pikmin sprouts that are just in the ground, which should be safe, it will uproot them and kill them. And the gas is also toxic to your captain, even though they're in the sealed spacesuit. If you get the egg... If you kill it, you get a pearl, sorry. Um, and the pearl is worth a hundred Pikmin, which is the greatest payout, I believe, of any uh one creature. And so you never see what it actually looks like outside of the gas. No. So it's just a horrifying, glowing eyed gas cloud monster. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Will, you got your work cut out for you. Oh, Good wait luck. a minute, wait a minute. There's a thing I forgot about. Um this might not be a hundred. I'm trying to find out if this is accurate or not. One second. Continue. I mean, the game does name it a mollusk as well. Like, you were doing so well. 
Pikmin. You were doing oh, so well. The Smoky well. Prog is thought to be um, a larval form or like maybe an offshoot form of the Mamuda, which is a very different critter um, that just sort of smacks your Pikmin into the ground and replants them, but can't even kill them. I'm just trying to take a look at... Oh, this weirdo. Yeah, very, very different than the Prog. I mean, he's got like little bracelets on, so he's intelligent. He He wants to be loved. I mean, not the... Not the shadow, obviously. That thing just wants to kill. I think, and I, I, I think part of that stems from the fact that um, the Mamuda can plant Pikmin, and this can uproot them. Is it just me, or does the Mamuda give major Shadow of Colossus vibes? He does. Oh my goodness, he does. Oh, <laughs> uh, I mean, like to the Pikmin, he clearly does. I don't, I don't know any creatures that would use like actually produce toxic gas, toxic chemicals any time of the day, but like actual gas. Yeah, the gaseous part is the tricky because, like, there's things that will least release toxins into water. Like, you have stuff like that, but aerosol is is uh, uh, more difficult. I do think there are a couple. Uh, uh, I think there is a millipede that will release cyanide gas. I think. I think I have heard about that. Yeah, or at least like very like aerosolized ish, if not full on gas. Is that the one the monkeys huff? Oh, I don't know. Uh, I wouldn't surprise me if they did. But it is one of the more iconic ones because of how much damage and destruction the skin can do. I mean, it did get its own trophy in Smash Brothers, so it's got to be worth something, right? But yeah, I've, I read a little more into it. I think the Smoky Prog Mamuda thing isn't. Um, I think I think it's more because they do a weird each do a weird thing with Pikmin and also um are time based t- like day based spawns in Pikmin one. I think that's the last monster we have time for it for today. So, if there's anything last we want to add about this horrifying smoke-filled demon? Yeah, the the only the one guess I had when I was just looking at it as like a smoke monster is if it was a a swarm, if it was actually a a, a swarm of insects. Uh, the fact that it comes from a a single egg, but that could it be an egg case maybe, uh, and that it is a swarm of insects that groups together very tightly and that their poison gas is really you just getting stung to death by them i feel like that's darker (laughs) right that if you zoom in on it you're actually just being assaulted by thousands of tiny biting or stinging insects uh but uh, you can just barely see them so they look like smoke i mean again this game has gone above and beyond for a game that most people are never going to play this isn't like call of duty or pokemon this game just kept on existing because there are fans like Don who just fell in love with this stuff. And like, they clearly put time to these designs. Like these are very strange, abstract, weird creatures. And I'm so glad that this game exists. I'm glad and there's, there's a ton of, um, there really are a ton more really interesting Pikmin creatures out there. Um, entire, basically families of stuff that we just didn't have time to get into. I, we um, definitely will make more time. Hopefully Pikmin 4 does really well. We can just keep on talking about more Pikmin. Well, you know what? We've got at least 10 years till Pikmin 5. So. Oh, that's <laughs> not nice. Well, I do want to thank you, Will, for sticking it out with us and talking about these critters. I love these guys. So happily. This was tons of fun. Yeah, it's not every day you get to pull aside, but we really are grateful to you and what you do. Now... Uh, we didn't exactly introduce what you did in the beginning of the episode. We just kind of pulled you aside and said, hey, everybody, listen to him. Do you want to tell people where they can actually go and find you? Yes, happily. Uh, so I am one of the hosts, one of two hosts of the Common Descent podcast, which is a paleontology educational podcast. And we cover different topics, all suggested by our audience, and release our episodes every fortnight, every two weeks currently. And you can find us by Googling Common Sense Podcast. We're on commonsensepodcast.com. We have Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, we have a Discord. So any of those will get you there. And you can, if you like what you hear, and if we haven't talked about something you would like us to talk about, we take requests for episodes. So we are happy to be suggested of what we should discuss. Awesome. And I'll definitely leave a link to your site down in our comedy sections down below. So again, and also Don, thank you for taking the time. Like, I know this is like not exactly a huge favor to ask of you because this game is like so much to you. Yeah, no, I I was really looking forward to talking about it. I've been playing back through the series. I'm almost finished with Pikmin 2. Um, I probably won't get three done in time this week, but, um, but like, do they still hold up? Oh yeah. I, I, I really highly recommend anyone. The, uh, the bundle's not a bad deal. 
Um, I think it's like $40 for both, which isn't the cheapest, but it's not terrible. Um, but I, it's, it, they're great. And like, honestly, the way the games look, they're pretty good to play on like a uh, handheld mode on switch as well. Sweet. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Thanks again, Will, for joining us. We'll see you guys in the next episode. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye.